But open up your Bibles to Psalm 16. You know, two weeks ago, uh, we shared a word looking at this word, really, and how God has a path for us in Psalm 119 that he guides us along, a path of joy, a path of knowing him that's found in this word. And really, I just felt in waiting on the Lord this week as to what he would have for us to kind of linger a little bit longer on that topic, but to take a different angle. Not only this morning will we see that there is joy to be found in following this word, but also contentment. And uh, so we're going to see that in this psalm, Psalm 16. So why don't I read and then I'll pray for us this morning. Psalm 16, verse 1. A victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning that it's your word that's powerful and not me. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. You are the God who, as we've seen this morning, is with us, who walks beside us, who hems us in both before and behind. Lord, I just pray, Lord, would you open our eyes that we might behold this morning wondrous things from your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as I said before, we're going to look at the issue of contentment from this psalm. And uh, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't particularly feel discontent. In fact, overall, according to recent surveys, uh, Australians are a pretty satisfied bunch. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics from two years ago in 2014, Australians overall uh, answered a 7.6 out of 10 on a life satisfaction scale. So if you find the average Australian, you ask them, how satisfied are you with your life? They will give you a a 7.6. But I I want us to consider this morning that if you peel beneath the surface just a little bit, you will find that, in fact, 
we are a people that are deeply dissatisfied. Uh, I was looking at some workplace statistics just this week. You know, the average person who joins the workforce now can expect to have, over the course of their working life, 17 different jobs. That's a job, a new job, every 3.3 years. They can expect to change careers, that's a complete change of career, five times across their working life. Marriage statistics. If you look at the marriage statistics, the average time for a person going from being married to being in an end-stage separation, so separated where they'll not get back together again, in this country is 8.7 years. 8.7 years before the average marriage will come to an end. If you look at relationships, sexual relationships, the average Aussie male reports 18, on average, lifetime sexual partners, eight for a woman. Dissatisfied people. But not even out there in the world, also within churches. You know, just one statistic is changes in churches. You know, if you take your average uh, Sydney church, every five years, on average, for an average church, 40% of the congregation will move, purely related to relocating within the city or abroad. Now, I'm not taking a stab in saying that every time someone moves, there's something bad in that or sinister, but I, I think there's a pattern in our culture where people are always looking for the next thing. And our personal experience says that as well. I mean, so often, I know for myself, I find myself dissatisfied, longing for the next thing, longing for that next relationship, maybe a girlfriend or, or a boyfriend. That that next bit of accommodation, that, that unit, or once you have the unit for the house, or the kids for the house, or, or the end of mortgage, or, or a holiday, or, or the end of kids at home, or so on and so forth. Well, you get what I mean? We're, we're always, I believe particularly in this city, looking for the next thing, a people who are often dissatisfied. So this morning, I want to speak about contentment, true satisfaction. So this message I've entitled, The Lord is My Portion. And I've really got two points, but one main message that I think the passage teaches, and that is that true contentment, true contentment is not found in circumstances, but in all-satisfying, never-ending relationship with the Lord. True contentment, not, not fleeting contentment, true contentment is found not in our circumstances, but in an all-satisfying, never-ending relationship with the Lord. Well, let's get stuck into our first point, which is from this psalm, His contentment. And that is that He is a faithful servant. Point one, His contentment. You see, many people, like, us, like I've alluded to, believe that contentment is based on a set of circumstances. If I have X and Y, then I'll be happy. If I have good health and a career, I'll be happy. If I have a husband and a house, then I'll be happy. If I'm mortgage-free and the kids are gone, then I'll be happy. But David shows us, in fact, God shows us from his word this morning that contentment, true contentment, is something completely different. Let's start from the very beginning of our psalm in verse 1. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, guard me, protect me, 
take care of me. See, David is facing some sort of danger. And later on in the psalm, we're going to see that, in fact, it's something that's threatening his life itself. He's facing death, and, and he cries out, and he says, Lord, I shelter in you. And the psalm is expressing his trust. In fact, this is key to understanding David's contentment that we're going to see. It's his faith. It's his deep trust in the Lord. You see, faith defined, something we often talk about, but rarely defined. Faith defined, it's not actually positive thinking or wishful thinking. It's not like, uh, if you've ever watched Indiana Jones in Search of the Holy Grail, where um, he's in that final scene, that's like the leap of faith, where he like takes that step off the edge and suddenly, boom, you know, like there's that hidden walkway. And, you know, that's not what faith is. It's not a blind leap in the dark. Faith, biblically defined, is trust in a relationship. Specifically, trust in a relationship with God. You see, for me, um, Charlotte and I, we've been married for just over a year, and I don't have any fear that Shah's going to betray me at all, or that, you know, if she's in the kitchen cooking with knives, that somehow my life is in danger because she might stab me. Like, I'm not afraid of that. And the reason why I'm not afraid of that is because I know Charlotte. I know what she's like. I, I know her character. Well, faith in God is trust in a relationship. It's a relationship with Him, and it's based on knowing His character. It's based on knowing what He's like. And so we read in verse 2, David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I say to Yahweh, my God, you are my Lord. You are my master. You see, often if you talk to people around here in Sydney, um, that particularly in this area, that I kind of had a kind of religious upbringing, they'll say to you, you know what, yeah, I believe in God. I trust in God. But actually, I live how I please. You know, I, I go to church every so often, but, you know, by and large, you know, I'm the boss of me. I live how I please. And, and we're kind of assuming that our relationship with God is like a peer relationship, that we're kind of, you know, on par, that we're equals. But according to God's word, our relationship with God is that of a master to a servant. We're his servants. He's our master. And that's a really countercultural thing to say. You know, we understand in our culture, I think, something like a boss at work, and we joke about, you know, our our wives being the boss at home or something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we believe that we are the master of our own destinies. We believe that we're the boss of our own lives. And yet in Psalm 119, verse 1, we read that blessed is the man whose way is blameless, who walks in the instruction of the Lord. Blessed is the man who follows God, who calls the shots. God calls the shots and who follows him. And in crisis, David is crying out. He's saying, keep me safe, Lord. He's saying, I trust you. You're my master. You call the shots. But there'd be no cause to trust God if he was the master, but he was cruel or unreasonable. If he was somehow, you know, this big overseer who's just really all about the details with no compassion. And so this next line, this next part of this verse that we read is so amazing. I want us to really linger on this where it's so powerful and the key to so much truth. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my master. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. There is nothing good in my life, says David, that doesn't come from you. There is absolutely nothing 
that I have that is good, that did not originate from you, my master. You are the source of all good things in my life. Think about for a moment everything that's good in your life. There's much that's good in this place that we live, where we live. I mean, there's just so much natural beauty. Think about the freedom we have. Think about the opportunities to work and enjoy the world. Think about our health. You know, one of the things working in a hospital is that you see what a gift health is. It's so quickly taken away, and often you don't realize how good you have it until it's gone. Think about the wealth we enjoy. Think about family and friends, think about relationships, think about children, think about the opportunities to enjoy life that we have. I mean, just a quick trip to the beach and forests, think about films and things we can watch and music that we can listen to and exercise and the food. And and when we pause and we remember that the source of all of those good things that we enjoy is God. Man, to me, that's a rebuke. To remember that every good thing that we have comes from Him. Whether we know Him or not, it comes from Him. All good comes from the Lord. And so David says says this, he says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints, those that are set apart by God, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David's saying, I want to be like these guys. I want to be like God's chosen people the ones who have the source of all that is good, looking over them. And he's just, he's just excited thinking about them. Well, why does this matter? You know, why is it important? Why is he declaring his trust in God? Well, the answer is that there's many false sources of good, which we read in verse 4. It says... The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Literally, their sorrows or pains shall multiply. Another they have betrothed. These people have given themselves in marriage to other gods. They are people around David pursuing other gods, searching for good for themselves. And David sees that, and he sees that the result will be pain. It'll be pain for them. And so Dave's resolute. He says this, he says, their sorrows shall multiply those who pursue other gods. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David is resolute in his commitment to the Lord. He's saying, I'm not going to join in their drink offerings, their blood rituals. I won't take these gods' names on my lips. I won't call out to them for help when I'm in trouble. I'll trust in Yahweh. I'll trust in God. You see, the Bible is full of examples of people looking for help outside of God in times of trouble. You know, one particular passage, I was actually reading it this week, so I thought I'd share it just in my devotionals. Um, It's in Jeremiah. And the context is that the Babylonians have come and they've absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. And there's this remnant of people that are left. And the Babylonians, they put in charge this governor to rule over the remnant that's left in Judah. But some reckless guy from within the people murders this guy and tries to take over control for himself. And all the people come together because suddenly the guy that the Babylonians have put in charge has been murdered. And they're thinking the Babylonians are going to be really, like, pretty, 
you know, upset about this. And um, what do we do? So they come to Jeremiah and they ask him, what should we do? Like, what should we do? Should we stay? Should we go? And Jeremiah says, you know what? God says to you, you should stay. And he's going to bless you. He's going to prosper. He's going to give you another chance. But they say, no, no, you're just saying that. We're going to go anyway. So they flee back to Egypt, not listening to God's word, back to the very place that God saved them from. And God says to them through Jeremiah, I'm going to wipe you guys out for being disobedient. And in response, the people say this. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah. This is what they say to him. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we have left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. Do you see what's happening? These people are chasing after other gods and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, if we see this other god, We'll find good. We'll, we'll prosper. We'll be free from disaster. We'll lack nothing. We'll be satisfied. We'll be content. And David says, no, guys, pain will abound. Suffering will multiply. Well, you might be sitting there and thinking, you know, Brenda, that's easy because, you know what, I stopped pouring out drink, drink offerings to the, the Queen of Heaven years ago. It's not an issue for me anymore. Our, our idols, they're so much more subtle, so much more insidious. You know, just like David, we live surrounded by a culture that tells us where to find satisfaction. Here it is, over here. It's telling us all the time where we can find contentment. You know, and so we look to so many things for our source of good, and we tell ourselves this story over and over again. I'll be satisfied when I'm financially secure, when I own my own home, apartment, when my super reaches seven figures, we tell ourselves, I'll be satisfied when I just get another holiday, that one overseas, or when I get that extra thing to entertain me, when I get that recognition, I'll be satisfied. When I get that recognition at work or as a parent, or when I get that relationship, that boyfriend or girlfriend that I've always wanted, or when that girlfriend or boyfriend proposes, or if I didn't have that spouse or, or those kids, or, or when I have finally kids, then I'll be satisfied. Or when I'm finally self-fulfilled, when, when I'm finally true to myself, or when I, when I finally do what feels right, or when I just, if I just believed in myself more, or if I just was the best I could be, then I'd be satisfied. And the problem is, when we think this way, we're confusing good things with the source of all good, and that's God himself. And God is he's offering us whole ocean full of joy and yet we're chasing after little teaspoons of it i was just thinking this week about it i was thinking how would our lives look different if we if we truly believed that our only source of good is the lord how would the career choices we make look different how would the way that we spend our money or the way that we serve in church, or even the question of whether I'll go to church next Sunday or my friend's birthday party. Now, how, how about the holidays we take? How would it look different? 
or the time we spend praying and reading this word? How would it look different? The way we welcome others into our homes, the way we take risks for the gospel, how would it be different if I truly believed that the Lord's my only source of good? Well, he's not just my only source of good. He's the one who's all-satisfying. Read this verse with me, verse 5. So beautiful. The, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord is my portion, my cup. He's my share. He's my bit. He's my lot in life. He's like something that belongs to me. I don't know if you've ever uh, had the situation where you're having people over into your home or you're, maybe you're at a party and you lose track of which cup is yours. Like, have you ever had that before? And you're like, yeah, I think, no, I put it there and then we swapped in and I drank a little bit. So my one's the one with slightly less than the other cup that looks exactly the same. And then you find your cup. Finally, at least you think it's your cup. And what can you do? You can drink from it. It's yours. You can put whatever you want in it. It's yours to have and enjoy. And that's kind of the picture that, that David's painting for us. It's not that he has some sort of exclusive claim on God, but that he has this intimate relationship where it's as if he's in this relationship, where it's as if Yahweh, his God's attention is all his, fully to him, his cup. He's saying, Yahweh, my God is my portion. Not a relationship, not a home, not a career, not even a successful ministry. If all I have is God, then I'll be satisfied. That's what David's saying. More than that, he says, you hold my lot. You hold my destiny. You hold my future. What will be assigned to me? David sees that his master holds his life in his hand. The future and all that is. That he's good and that he's in control. And the result of that, he finds contentment. And so he says this in verse 6. He says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen for me. It's actually the word for ropes that were used in marking property. In pleasant places, in good soil. Imagine someone dividing up a whole big field of land and, and it's a picture of your lot in life and the inheritance that's for you. And the outcome is that you get the best bit. You know, you get the most fertile soil with the ocean views close to public transport and the shops. Like, you get the premium land. Well, why is he saying this? Why is that his lot? Because his lot is God the one who's always with him. The future is bright. You know, David can be satisfied regardless of his circumstances because it's not random chance, his future. It's not luck. It's not what he makes of it. It's held by the God who is working for his good. And so he says this in verse 11. He says right at the end of the psalm, and it's so beautiful, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness. There is all-satisfying joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life and there is fully satisfied joy. In a relationship, in a career, no, in his presence. Pleasures forevermore, joy never ending, limitless for all eternity. You know, David finds a contentment beyond circumstances in knowing Yahweh, his master. 
But more than just that, point two, his confidence. Not just his contentment, point one. Point two, his confidence. And that is in a faithful Lord. And if I was to ask you, do you feel content? What would you say? I reckon for many people on the North Shore, they'd say, yeah, you know what? Life is good. I've got a good marriage. I enjoy my work. I'm fit and healthy. I've only got a small mortgage. The kids are doing well. Life is good. I'm content. See, the Bible doesn't say that there's nothing in life that can satisfy us. You know, some things do. It simply says that there's only one source of satisfaction that lasts. See, the problem is circumstances, they quickly change. Marriages, they fall apart. Jobs become burdensome. Health is lost. Debt mounts. Our kids lose their way. And eventually, we die. And if we're honest, we often find ourselves anxious about losing the things that we love, the things that we enjoy. Well, David finds contentment in his confidence that the Lord is faithful. Read with me verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I bless the Lord. The psalm moves to praise. Why? Because it's God who counsels him. Well, when does he counsel him? He says, in the night, and the word here says, my heart, but literally in Hebrew the word is, my kidneys, actually, which is probably better uh, translated as the word for conscience. My conscience instructs, actually, it's the word, it's probably better translated as berates, rebukes. So in the night, lying in bed with his conscience beating him, with his conscience afflicting him, what does he find? The Lord counsels him. You see, our confidence, it quickly wanes. We quickly find doubts and fears and worries about the thing we love coming to the fore. And yet, how can God be praised in the midst of this? How can David praise God? He says in verse 8 this, the following. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. At night, David lies in bed. His conscience is afflicting him. And yet he says, I set the Lord always before me. It's this intimate relationship. It's our maker present with us. You know, John Calvin describes it as this. He says, to set the Lord before us is nothing else than to keep all our senses bound and captive, that they may not run out and go astray after any other object. John Calvin says, Setting the Lord before us is saying, no, with everything I have, I'm going to keep it captive. I'm going to keep it attuned to God being with me, set on his presence always. I'm going to set him continually before me. You see, our God is all-powerful. We've been looking at that even this morning. He, He made everything by the breath of his word. The greatest things in the world the universe and everything that's in it, the 50 billion stars that exist in our galaxy, he made it all simply by his breath. Every atom, every arrangement of DNA, every cell, everything that is made by him. More than that, 
Here's the God who is all-knowing. He knows everything. Consider this. He doesn't just know everything that has been already and everything that will be. He knows every possibility that ever was as well. Every possibility for every thought that you will ever have, everything you could have thought but didn't think, he knows. Every possible creation, every different type of world that he could have made but different that exists, all things he knows, everything. And yet, he is right here at my right hand, right here with me. And so David says, I won't, I won't be shaken. I won't stumble. I'll be okay. Feelings may change. Circumstances may change. But having your maker right there with you puts everything in perspective. And so he knows that nothing can shake him. And he says this, he says in verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Therefore, as a result of, as a result of seeing his God with him, his heart is glad. Literally, his pulse beats for joy. Every fiber in his being wants to praise God, not because of his circumstances, in fact, despite his circumstances. Wanting to praise God. And so he says, My whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. My flesh, my whole being is secure. How? His life is threatened. There's people out to kill him. How can he say this? How can he have such confidence in God? Well, he's joyfully safe in his presence. Even death, David sees, is not the end for him. You will not abandon my soul or my life to Sheol. That's the place where the wicked dead go. You won't abandon me there. You won't let your holy or your faithful one see corruption. Literally the pit, like just a hole in the ground, and you can imagine a corpse just being hurled in there and left to rot. You won't abandon me like that. Death will not be the end for me. You know, we can find contentment in the Lord in knowing that death is not the end for us. You know, Jesus says it this way in John 14, and I was just affected thinking about that this week, just meditating on this. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That is so powerful. Jesus says, guys, don't be afraid. You can trust in me. You can trust that I'm preparing a place for you, that I'm preparing an eternal home for you that I'm working even in this moment to create a new heavens and a new earth, a place where you will eternally reside with God, where you'll have new bodies and new life, where you'll have fullness of joy, not just because of the good things that you enjoy, but because of the presence of your Savior forever with you, 
able to re- rejoice and, and see what you see now so dimly lit, present before your eyes. Jesus Christ seated on the throne and all of the saints for all ages bowing down and worshiping him and worshiping him and worshiping him. And Jesus says, I go to prepare that place for you more than that. More than that. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back to get you. You know, just this week, as I was preparing for this message, I just felt that the Lord wanted to remind us, church, again. He wanted to remind us that He's coming back. He's coming back. And it might be today, and it might be tomorrow, but He is coming back, and He is coming back soon. And, and, and we're just sojourners. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We don't live here. We're passing through just for the most fleeting moment in time. The best life is yet to come. A life that will never end. A life where we will find final and true contentment. Friends, the things that we desire when we live for Christ, they change. It changes so much the things we want. You know, when we see that we're just passing through here just for a moment, and man, I need to hear this. We're satisfied with our portion. We're satisfied with our lot because we know our lot is the Lord and we know that our lot with Him will last. No one can take it from us. Church, many things provide a contentment for a little while, but there's only one that truly satisfies and lasts, and that is the Lord. But the truth is, and I think if we're honest, we've got many failings in this area. We find ourselves so often discontent. You know, it's not that long ago for me that I was a single man, and if I'm really honest about it, I found it really tough. I found it really tough. I used to wrestle with this. I knew the right answers. I knew the right answers. I knew that God was with me. I knew that he was enough, but it was difficult. I found it really hard. And my question for us is, what do we do with this passage in light of all our failures? I want us to look at one last verse, and that comes from Acts chapter 2, and it's Peter at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has just been poured out, and there's people speaking in tongues, and the people that are looking out are wondering, like, what on earth is this all about? Like, what is going on? And Peter stands up, and he gives one of the most epic sermons in the whole of the Bible, in which he quotes our psalm. And after quoting our psalm, he says this. He says in Acts 2.29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God foresaw, uh, had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. See, a thousand years earlier, David wrote this psalm, not knowing that it was actually a prophecy through God about Jesus. It was a prophecy about his death and his resurrection. You see, our, our failings are greater than failing to be content in him. The truth is, we do chase after other things. 
if we turned our back on our maker, that we're deserving of the death of deaths, that because we've said to the one who made us, who owns us, we belong to him, we've said, Lord, I want to live for myself. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to be the master of my own destiny. We deserve rightfully eternal punishment from our God. And yet God did not leave us in that state. He didn't leave us by ourselves alone deserving his punishment. Because he's a God of mercy and grace. And because he wanted to be just in being able to let us free from our sins, to be able to forgive us for all we've done. He sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus, who would be born as a man, our maker, born as a man, born in a poverty, born with nothing, born in squalor, living a perfect life and teaching, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to, to God and to turn back to him, living this perfect life, born to die, to lay down his life. Having been rejected by everyone he knew and loved, he went to that cross. And on that cross, as he hung on that cross, there was the punishment that was rightly for us poured out upon him. Where we should have been, he went and bore it in full. And as he cried, it is finished, his work was complete. And after being dead and buried three days later, he rose from the dead, the first fruits of all that will trust in God because God is doing this new work. He hasn't forsaken us to die. He's destined us to be born again, to be raised from the death, just like his son was. He's creating this new creation, this new earth that we could forever enjoy right relationship with him. The Lord is now our portion in a way that David never experienced because he's with us. We have, through faith in Jesus, this opportunity to be joined to him, to have the Holy Spirit of God himself to dwell within our hearts permanently, to be able to enjoy rich, all-satisfying relationship with our maker that will one day be brought to fullness on the day when Christ comes back again. Well, in closing, what do we do with this? I just, I just feel like this speaks to two different categories of people that I just want to address, particularly this morning as, as we close. And, and the first group is Christians, Christians that feel like all of us feel at times, discontent. You're looking for satisfaction in things that can never deliver. Work, relationship, finances, home, a school for your kids. Do you know what? This rich, all-satisfying relationship with God, it's yours. He's there as your portion. He's there present with you, even in this moment. Cry out to him for grace. Ask him to help you. Ask him to satisfy you with his goodness. Ask him to teach you that that he is the only source of good that you have. You know, we'd love to, to pray for you if that's you this morning. And I'm going to invite the group leaders at the end during our last time to come down the front afterwards. And we'd like to offer a, a time for you just to receive prayer, but not as experts, just as people, as fellow Christians that all struggle with this, to find satisfaction in him. We'd love to pray for you. But the second person or group of people that I'd like to address is 
non-Christians, people that are not following Jesus, people that haven't put their trust in Him. And you're sitting here this morning and you realize that for the first time, you've not been content. Because you've been looking for contentment in all the wrong places. And you can see now that Christ is the only true source of contentment. Your God is the only one who will truly satisfy you. I just want to encourage you as well. Come down the front. We'd love to pray for you, not to embarrass you, but just to ask the Lord to come into your life, to receive him as a gift. The the message of the gospel is if you would simply repent, let's make the Lord your maker. Change your mind about him. Start living for him and believe in Christ and all he did for you on the cross. You'll be saved. You can enjoy that rich relationship. Come down the front. We'd love to pray for you. Even just chat to the person who brought you along. Well, in summary, his contentment. David finds contentment despite circumstances in knowing the Lord, his master. His confidence, David sees that the only contentment that truly lasts is to be found in a faithful God. Friends, true contentment is not found in circumstance, but in all-satisfying, never-ending relationship with the Lord. Why don't I pray for us as the band comes up? Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh Lord, help us believe it. Help us to know and experience your goodness, your all-satisfying joy, the joy of knowing you as our Lord, the joy of having you as our only portion, the joy and contentment of knowing that you hold our lot, that goodness and mercy will always be with us in you, of knowing that one day we will be for you with you and reign with you forevermore. Lord, you are good and your mercy is in you every day. Lord, help us to find all of our satisfaction in you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.